Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Belt and right! Welcome to the show! New week, another farm system now as we wrap up the American League East here on the call-up. He's Jack McMullen. I'm Arm Layton. And like we said, we're running through the Blue Jays' top prospects here. A farm system that... I think has gotten a little bit better, but also just has a lot of names that we've talked plenty about over the last couple of years. So we always use the term prospect fatigue, several candidates that would probably fit the bill there. Uh, but I would say that just about everybody in this system, at least the, the top guys are maybe after a bit of a roller coaster, starting to head back upwards on a bit of an upwards trajectory. We'll talk about the Ricky Tiedemans, the Orelvis Martinez, and of course the Addison Bargers of the world. But what was fun was, kind of getting into this farm system beyond those guys, because this has been a farm system that's very top heavy. And I think you're starting to see, you know, with the last couple drafts with IFA, uh, you're starting to see it broaden out a little bit. And there's a little bit more intriguing talent outside of the top five now that I'm excited to talk about. Well, they had a great draft in 2023. I think that's really important. They've got three top 15 guys on this list that came from the 2023 draft. And if I'm not mistaken, they were their three. They were their first three picks. Watts Brown might have been their fourth round pick or something like that. Yep. But it feels like early returns that they nailed their first round pick and they nailed a couple arms that they took in the second and third round that we'll get to in the teens. But yeah, like I, I think they've done really well recently, which is important because I highlighted in the intro. Um, they've got a unique kind of wave of expiring contracts after the 2025 season and the 2026 season 25 they agreed to an arbitration extension with Boba he's done after 25 they did not agree to an arbitration extension with Vladimir Guerrero Jr he's done he's a super two guy arb four is 2025 so Bichette and Vladdy come off the books in 25 and then Springer Kirk Varsho Gosman come off in 26 you need a farm system yeah, kind of sounds like a windows closing, does it not? Yeah, it, it will, or it's going to push them to spend, and that's where it's going to be interesting to see. You know, it seems like it's been everybody kind of saying, "Oh, it's probably going to be one or the other, Bichette or Vladdy that they end up bringing back." Uh, but maybe depending on how some of these players develop, we'll, we'll see if you know, they feel a little bit more urgent, you know, to or, or I guess a little bit more desperate to to be able to retain both of those guys because you do feel good about the way some of these bats are trending, especially two of the top bats, but you know, they're not going to be Vladdy or Bichette. So it's going to be interesting to see how they approach it this year too, because a lot of their top prospects are very close to big league ready. And 
it's busy in the infield over there. They've added some some pieces already, you know, to an already crowded infield. You have the emergence of Davis Schneider. You have the who, by the way, would have been graduated by these standards, otherwise would have been in the top 15. Uh, but you have Isaiah Kiner-Falefa being brought in here. Um, and, and then you have other guys that are you know, pretty close to, to being ready. So I'm interested to see, you know, how they handle or Elvis Martinez this year, being that there's not much more for him to show in AAA. Addison Barger, does he get some opportunity? Um, I'm I'm just kind of curious to see how some of these pieces fit in because they're very talented on the big league side, but some of these prospects are kind of getting older now. And do you trade them? Uh, Do you eventually just wait for them to to fit in? Do you trade a Biggio at the top? Like they've got a lot of decisions to make. Uh, I think that could end up being made during the season based on the performance of the prospects and some of the guys at the big league level. And even then, man, like, what's the value for Kevin Biggio? If Manoa is bad again, what's the value of Alec Manoa? Like, there are so many, there are so many tough decisions that Ross Atkins is going to have to make in like June. And I don't envy what he's going to do whatsoever. Because if you send a Rubis Martinez to AAA, he's going to OPS 820. I, I, at the very strongly least. about that. At the very least. If you send Addison Barger to AAA, he's going to OPS 820. At the very least. If you send Tiedem into AAA for a whole year, this guy might set a strikeout record. Like it, These guys are beyond ready, and I know we're going to get into all of them. 100%. And then again, talking about the depth here, uh, I do think it's slowly but surely getting stronger, which leads us right into the names to watch. As always, link is in the episode description. Go check that out if you want to follow along with us and read, you know, each of the write-ups that we have. Jack, take us through the names to watch. Give me a guess. How do you say Jace's last name? Barofen. I was thinking Barofen. 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 It's not Borofen. I think it's Barofen. Barofen. B-O-H-R-O-F-E-N for those who are not following along. That's well, it's yeah. Our first name to watch is Jace Barofen, outfielder who was, I think, sixth round pick out of Arkansas this past year. Um, he was awesome at Arkansas. Hit over three or hit just around 320. OPS uh, well over 1,000 at 1050, 60 games this spring. And then he shows up at the complex in Dunedin. I think it was seven games at the complex, 17 in low A. And this guy got off to a great start. He had a 1080 OPS with seven homers in 24 games. He had 23 homers in 84 games. If you combine his stint at Arkansas and in the minor leagues. Granted, the minor leagues were lower levels than a college bat should see. However, understandable that you send a six-round pick there. Yeah. If the power's there, you find a spot for this guy to climb. I just don't think we knew that the power was there before his draft year. No, and I think this is definitely a, literally a name to watch, right? Because I, I think like, if, if, he was, if we were able to get a little bit more action in low, low A or even high A, um, I, I think he could have made a case for the top 15 just because of some of the batted ball data, what we saw him do, you know, against college competition, the approach being pretty patient. Uh, we're, we're seeing him be able to tap into power in games. Like this is definitely somebody that if you're a blue Jays fan, I think you're, you're eager to see how he handles high a uh, this coming year. And if he handles it pretty well, I mean, he's, he's 22. Uh, he could be a solid prospect for them and a nice little find in the middle rounds. Yeah, I'm going to clump these next guys together, these next two together, because they they play the same game. And I like one more way more than the other. Uh, Desan Brown is the first one. I like Cam Eden more than I like Desan Brown. Desan Brown made Team Canada for the World Baseball Classic because he flies. Mm -hmm. Yes, he flies. I see some outlets have him as an 80 runner. (laughs) 
I, it's weird to say he only has 25 bags a year, but like this guy hasn't eclipsed 30 stolen bases in a given season. And, and I'm just wondering where they are. And the bat is not good enough. It's not a major league bat. Kim Eden is a tweener bat. The difference between Desan Brown and Kim Eden is Eden in 2021, 30 for 32 in the stolen base department in 2022. 36 for 41 in the stolen base department. And in 2023 in Buffalo, 53 for 57 in the stolen base department. So he's stealing way more bags than Desan Brown. He's doing it at a higher efficiency than Desan Brown. And the icing on the cake is his nickname is literally Kachow in Ode to Lightning McQueen. So if one of them is going to be the Gerard Dyson, I think it's Cam Eaton and not Desan Brown. Yeah, most likely. And I think you're looking at like the the fourth outfielder mold as is what you're hoping for. And you still got to hit a little bit to do that. I think Brown obviously has more projection, younger, physical, a little bit more physical, but also just the hit tool being far behind. So, yeah, it's it's limited ceilings. But yeah, I'm with you. I think Eden older and even more limited, but also, you know, is able to fill that role already a little bit better. There are three relievers on this list, and we're getting to the first of three. Tells you it kind of drops off after 15, and 15 is probably a reliever. Um, we'll get to him in a moment. Mason Fluharty, a left-hander, that got up to double-A. He was a reliever his entire time at Liberty. Did you watch any Mason Fluharty video during all this? Like, the data uh, not does much. not – yeah, the data does not scream top 15 at all. What I will say is – He's got a very crochet-esque delivery where he's almost like shot-putting it from his left shoulder and he's wrapping it around on the three quarters. I'm going to like kind of move into the screen. So he's here, he's turning his body, and then he's spinning the crap out of a slider. And that is a left-on-left matchup from hell. So this guy is a left-on-left nightmare. Yep. I don't know if he's anything more than that. Yeah. Well, it's funny from that release too. It's like, it's cutter slider and you're getting that, you know, talk about a guy that's definitely a, a supinator. He's ripping yes. them uh, left on left sliders were just a problem for hitters last year. Hey, he, he held them to a batting average below a hundred. They were three for 45 against yeah. it with 29 K's. So that pitch will get him in a big league bullpen. No doubt. But the fastball is not good. Like the fastball may get hammered if he does the Whistler thing and he throws 90% slider, then like, hey, he could put up a a great year in a bullpen. Rafael Antigua is a guy that is not on any top 30 list for the Blue Jays. I get it. He's been around a long time since 2019. I get it. He's 25 years old. I get it. He's a small guy. He plays everywhere. He played third, short, second, left, center, right. And he walked at what a 17% clip last mm-hmm. year. He hit 305 with a 425 OBP and he slugged more than double his weight. He had 40 doubles and he swiped 28 bags. I don't get why this guy's off of every top 30 list. Yeah, I know. I get like he's small and there's, there's probably not everyday offense to, to dream on here, but you, you hit the nail on the head. He walks with the best of them. He doesn't strike out. He plays all over um, and he puts up good numbers. I, I, this has to be a top 30 guy because you could find a 40 man role for him. And if there's a 40 man role for him, potentially like that's, that's a, a that's a top 30 guy. I, I, this, he will have big league time. So even though he's older, uh, I do think he's a, a decent bench piece and has enough, just enough pop. He snuck out 13 yeah. homers. Like it's, it's more than probably a lot of people would have expected. If you combine, you know, the winter league and, and what he did last year. 
Well, and it's gap to gap juice too. Like 40 doubles in Buffalo is really impressive. 40 doubles across a triple A season. Yeah. Um, note who the longest write up is. <laughs> is Palmajani 16? He's got to be 16 on this. He's, list. he's darn close. Yeah. I, I would say it's probably him. Yeah. If we're talking about like who would be the, the, the guy, the next up that just missed the, 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 the top 15. Like, yeah. I mean, I, it stinks that I didn't get to see him perform in the Arizona fall league. I caught him in the midst of a, of a bit of a slump, but he hits the living crap out of the ball. Um, and, and he, he's made enough contact so far. Like he's going to strike out, but the contact rates are not egregious. Um, He's de- yeah, I would almost surely say he's 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 16 here. Right. So Damiano Palmajani, he played a lot of third base on his way through the minor leagues. He got a lot more run at first base. He probably looks like a first base DH long term. Is he passable at third base? I, I don't think he's terrible there at all. That was the one thing I did see at the Arizona Fall League is I thought he was passable. OK, Um Interesting note that from low A to triple A, this guy never walked at a clip under 10%. So he's always going to walk. And over the last two years, he's got 47 homers and 58 doubles. Like elevates. He's power. He is power. Elevate, celebrate, sick name. He's going to find his way on a big league roster at some point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just saying the last thing is I, th- I could see kind of like a lefty masher role potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, like hits the 106 mile per hour, 90th percentile. Um, I, there, there's going to be a big league role for him. For sure. Um, there seems to be a big league role for Alan Roden, but I assume you're not sold on the ceiling with Roden. He's like a consensus top 10 guy in this system, and he's outside the top 15 for you. Yeah, um, I think it's the hit tool that people are you know, bullish on. Um, and that's why you can make the case like Roden might have been like right out 16 or 17 as well. But he's 24. There's really minimal power. I don't like the swing. Like it's a really unique and it's a unique setup. Um, and and I just don't know how much juice is in there. He puts the ball on the ground. It's very pull dependent. Like I, I don't think he hit a ball opposite field, like let alone a home run. I think, I think he snuck one home run out opposite field, but there's pretty much almost nothing with authority the other way. So he's out and around. It's a lot of ground balls. It's a weird setup. He's not very fast. He's probably limited to a corner and doesn't have yeah. power. Like I just really struggle to figure out the profile. There's a lot of pressure on the hit tool. He's going to have to hit, you know, over 300 uh, to be a regular. I I see why people like him because the contact rates are so good, but I just, I don't think the swing is going to translate uh, as well. I think the hit tool will start to back up a little bit because of those moves. And then, you know, you don't have much power defense or, or, or really much else to fall back on. Do you think this is similar to the Tyler Freeman situation we had in Cleveland like two years ago. Everybody loved him because he never whiffed. And then they realized that the ceiling was just so capped that he started to fall down those boards. And we haven't seen Tyler Freeman stick in the big leagues yet when he's been quote unquote ready for the last two years. And at at a certain point, he was the number one prospect in that Cleveland system. Yeah. I think it's very similar because if Roden could play center field, like, okay, maybe Maybe this this profile is more palatable. Freeman was playing like a consistently good shortstop. You know, maybe it's a little bit more palatable, but I think even then, like the offense was just not there. This guy in a corner, it just, it just doesn't, I just don't really see how, how that could, how you could justify playing him every single day because he's not going to be Stephen Kwan. So it's, it's a tough profile, but again, he might just be one of those guys that hits and hits and hits and hits. Um, And, and I eat crow for that one, but you know, I I just, I, I struggle to see it. And, and I felt like, yeah, 
he was just a little bit more advanced than everybody else he was facing. We'll, we'll see how it looks in AAA, but you know, it's hard to argue against the numbers and and he seemed to put together a really nice season last year. Yeah. Two more guys real quick. Cause I, I think they're kind of the same, but with different pitches, Diane Santos is a right-hander in high a Yasver Zulueta is a guy that everybody knows all too well because he's thrown in the last two futures games. They both seem to be right-handed relievers. Zulueta is mid to high 90s with like a heavy fastball, kind of a sinker type and a hard slider. Santos is low 90s fastball and then a sweeping slider. They strike out a lot of guys. They walk a lot of guys, Mm -hmm. a lot of guys. They both seem to be relievers. Yeah, I mean, Zulueta, louder stuff. Santos probably a little bit better, a little bit better command. I mean, again, it's like pick I mean, your poison there. Yeah, yeah, pick your poison. I mean, Zulueta has the stuff to be a high leverage reliever. So, um, yeah, I know people are having ranked a little bit higher, but it, it's I'm just wondering. Like at some point, we got to kind of give up on. Oh well, if the command comes along, like he's he's going to be he's 26. I, I don't know if the command's ever going to come along. Right. We're getting to the top 15, and we got another reliever. Uh, and a reliever that actually looks like he's just about big league ready. Uh, Connor Cook will be the first guy that we talk about here in the top 15. Right-handed reliever, 10th round pick in 2021. He's got good stuff, man. The fastball slider combination is is dirty. I, it's, it's a true sweeper. I think a borderline double plus pitch. He was throwing some that I was watching that were getting over 20 inches of horizontal. Um, I mean, just, just really nasty. And then the fastball from a low release, yeah, this like three low three quarters release takes off from there. Um, those two pitches will make him a seventh inning guy, no doubt. The changeup he'll mix in every once in a while to lefties, which is great because when you're a sweeper guy, like that's usually going to have pretty dramatic platoon splits. Sweepers generally do. Um, the changeup's good enough to just sprinkle in there. The command's got to get a little bit better if he's going to reach this like eighth inning ceiling. But I feel pretty confident that a guy that strikes out 40% of batters across three levels, you see the pitch data, it looks legit. The slider's disgusting. He's got the body. He's got some deception built in there. Um, He's going to be a big rig reliever for them, I think, this year. Yeah. um, I caught him for a week, I think. His first week in AAA was when Indy was in Buffalo, and he was spinning them to death. And, like, good hitters, too, but... Right on right, it was no contest with him. And you saw the Gotti numbers from high A and double A. It was a lot of strikeouts, not a lot of walks. You said, okay, how how can this be? It's because of the slot. It's because of the slider. He made mincemeat of right-handed hitters. Yep. He could be a spl- he could be a specialist, but like he can probably get over that hump if the fastball gets better and it's already a 55, you think. Yeah. I mean, he's run it up to 97, 98. And again, it's it's the lower release, above average carry. I, I think that fastball is going to play well enough. It's just a little bit more consistency with it. But I, I think he gets a chance relatively early this season. And I think there's the upside of, of, a, of a quality setup guy. Sweet. Number 14, left-handed pitcher, Kendry Rojas, who was signed for $215,000 back in 2020 by the Blue Jays. He's interesting. I mean... Second stint in low A as an age 20 pitcher last year, now 21 years old. Um, longer limbs, so gets above average extension. Uh, it's an over-the-top release that I think the fastball just kind of backspins out of. So while it doesn't jump off of the page in terms of, of shape, it's above average carry. But I think there's a spin component to it that makes it you know kind of get on hitters a little bit quicker, paired with slightly above average extension. Um, and that from that over-the-top release – 
Then you have a slider that flashes above average. And then he tweaked the, the, the change up, went to more of a split grip in, in 2023. And from being more of a nascent change up now, it looks like it could be an average third pitch. Uh, I thought the, the splitter actually projected a lot better, um, flashed a lot better than, than the traditional change up he was throwing prior. So you have an average three pitch mix, potentially average command. Um, you know, you could probably dream on a five starter potentially. I think he's going to need to see a little bit of an uptick because nothing jumps off the page, but you know, decent numbers in low A last year and in like 84 innings. And, um, you know, he, he's definitely just a solid left-handed arm with a smooth delivery that is worth monitoring. I haven't seen him at all. I will say that we are hitting the pitching clump for the Blue Jays. Of course, they have, you know, like their lead man when it comes to pitching prospects. But after that, there's a fall off and you see a lot of hitters, a lot of hitters, a lot of good hitters. And then you get to this like nine to 15 range. Yeah, 15 is a reliever. But like all these guys, when Gosman comes off the books, when Barrios is on the last year of his deal, when Bassett comes off the books, when Kikuchi is 39 years old, like all these guys seem to be timed up to be ready at that point, whether they're in low A as a draft guy or high A as an international guy. Rojas kind of screams climb one level every year until he gets there. Yeah. And I think you can hope that he sees an uptick, you know, in in the velocity, maybe the command, you know, gets even better to where he can just finesse. He'll be that like three pitch lefty finesse guy that can massage his way through lineups, but seems like he could be a, a solid, you know, depth arm and and back into the rotation arm who still has plenty of time to develop, but will be 21 years old all season long. Number 13 is, you know, I think one of the safer bats that you're going to find, but it's just more about figuring out where he's going to play and how he gets consistent reps. But Spencer Horwitz, uh, who, you know, we, we've talked about him plenty. Like the guy deserved an opportunity at the big league level last year, got it and performed. He, he played very well in sporadic playing time for the Blue Jays. Uh, they, they were hoping that he could potentially play a little bit of outfield. And he saw some action out there, both in the World Baseball Classic, where I saw him really struggle. Um, and then at points in AAA, it seems like he's more just limited to first base, where he can p- play just an average first base. That's where the challenge is, because Horowitz has an above average hit tool. He has a fantastic approach and he crushes righties. OPS over a thousand against righties, uh, under 700 against lefties. So you have a bulk platoon situation here where he can really you know, be a productive hitter for you. But it would be so much better if he could play anywhere other than first base. And it seems like he he, he probably is not able to. Uh, and that's the limitation here for him. But that said, there's, there's a big league bat here, especially with his numbers against righties and the way that he showed in a brief stint at the big league level. Um, it's just, is there enough power there to shoulder the first base situation? You know, the, the first base profile, the answer may be no. So he may end up just being more of a, a platoon bench bat, but he'd be a good one at that. Yeah. And well, do you think there's still time to improve the corner outfield defense? Because if he could be a platoon bench bat that could hop in right or left, that's a game changer. Problem is you've got a guy that you're going to pay really handsomely, probably moving forward to over 30 mil a year. It's really tough when you've got a franchise cornerstone at first base, because that guy never has to take days off. Yeah, especially a young, a young one at that too, right? right? Like it's, it's, it's. You don't want Vladdy ever out of the lineup. Is he, I, I'm, is I'm, he older than Vladdy? Yeah, he is. Man, he is. Yeah. So, I, look, I, I think it's possible. You know, I'd have to watch more video of him, particularly in left. They did continue to give him action out there um, down the stretch. 
uh, yeah. at least like once or twice a week. He saw a little bit of action at second base. But yeah, if he can develop into even just a, I, I wouldn't even say serviceable, just not a detriment in left field, then I think you could end up figuring out you know, a way to, to get a lot more playing time out of him and yeah. and be a platoon piece that can you know be very productive against righties. Dude was pasted all over the AAA leaderboards. He walked oh, yeah. like nobody's business last year, and he walked more than he punched out. I mean, dude, give me a first baseman that hit 340. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I don't care if it's only 10 homers from the first base position. It's a big ballpark in Buffalo. He hit 340. 32 doubles in 122 games as well. He's a guy that's going to definitely mash you up plenty, plenty of doubles there. Some similarities to like Troy Johnson, where it's like the, the bat is great. It's just, you know, without the power being there, the, the way that the position demands, like where does he fit in? And right. and that's, I think, what the Blue Jays are trying to figure out. But they they know that Horwitz, at the very least, like in the meantime, when they're in win-now mode, that's a great left-handed bat to have off your bench. Probably overqualified to be a bench bat. Up to number 12 now, it's Landon Marutis, fourth-round pick here in 2023, right-hander out of Calvary Christian. Not the same Calvary Christian down in my old stomping grounds. There's two in Florida. One's more central Florida. The other is Fort Lauderdale area. Both are nasty, by the way. And if you could compile a pitching staff from both, I think you'd have a bunch of studs. I've leaned towards the Fort Lauderdale Calvary Christian, by the way, though, with Andrew Painter, Jake Eater, uh, Christian Scott, and more. That's for another time. But Marutis... They give him $1.5 million to forego his commitment to NC State. So fourth round pick, but that's a late second round money. And you can understand why. I mean, he was a shortstop for Calvary Christian High School when he wasn't pitching. Um, he moves really well, obviously, for a 6'3", 190-pound guy. Uh, and the changeup already flashes plus. So you've got a guy that already has a great feel for a changeup, a fastball that sits in the low 90s, but you can dream on more projection. And he's just trying to find which of the two breaking balls is going to come along slider looks better than the curveball, but both were just from what I was able to see, he hasn't made his pro debut yet. So watching a lot of high school video and, um, and showcase video and, and, and all that good stuff, like it, the breaking balls are lagging behind that said, you got potential for above average fastball plus change up. You figure one of the breaking balls comes along and I think he can have good command when it's all said and done because of the athleticism you can understand why, the Blue Jays wanted to shell out a little bit extra money here to, to sign Marutis and, uh, and and try to go with some upside here uh, in this farm system. So he was like every high school, every good high school baseball team had this kid where he was a tall, not lanky, but long kid that was either playing shortstop, third base or center field. And he moved really well. And then he would start on Saturday. You played him on Friday. He would start on Saturday and then he would kick your ass on the mound. And it was like, oh, the shortstop's pitching today. He's mm -hmm. way better than everybody else. And then he's going to go play shortstop on Sunday. That's him. And yeah. a lot of those guys like will go play a high level, high major brand of college baseball. And then they get buried with a bunch of those other guys. But it's the ones that make it through that it's like, wow, yeah, I see that athleticism on the hill. And you can clearly see this guy was a damn good shortstop in high school. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if the fastball can tick up a little bit and with that athleticism and projection, you figure it can. Uh, he's got some good arm side run to it where it can play at the bottom of the zone. But he also threw some some fastballs with ride and run at the top. So you have those two variations there. Then the changeup is dirty. I think there's potential here for him to be a solid, you know, back end of the rotation starter, but being how early it is in his development and how projectable he is, 
that you could always dream on more than that. And I think that's what the Blue Jays are just trying to accumulate is upside here, uh, especially with their arms uh, as they try to fill out the rest of the system. That leads us right into number 11, which once again, they go with the upside, right? I mean, Jerron Watts Brown, when it comes to a college arm, he's probably as he was as raw as they come. And also I think that's a good thing when you're drafting the third round, which is where they took Brent Watts Brown. And he was a guy that had an interesting case because baseball America actually highlighted this where he, I think played football as well in high school, had a shoulder injury from football that forced him to redshirt his freshman year at long beach state. So yeah. then he was a red shirt freshman the next year and broke out, just just shoved. Then transfers to Oklahoma State, where the strikeout numbers were phenomenal, but he struggled with command, uh, and the ERA was inflated to five. We talk about, especially when you're drafting in the second, third round college arms, you kind of ignore the results in that range, and you want to just kind of look at the stuff, because you're not going to get a guy with a sub-two ERA in college baseball uh, right. in, in, in day two. But I think Watts Brown's a perfect target in the third round, a guy that's very raw because he missed his freshman year, uh, very athletic as a two-sport athlete in high school, and, and also you know striking out the world. Like he, he was racking up a strikeout rate of thirty-three percent at Oklahoma State again, again against better competition. Uh, the question is the command, and you know, is there a little bit more velocity in there? He's six-four-two twenty. He's athletic. Um, I, I think there's some funkiness to him. The slider is already plus, which really helps. Curveball flashes above average. I think it's really just about developing the command and and seeing if the fastball can continue to tick up. Let this dude play sports all day, every day, and the fastball is going to tick up. I promise you that. Like somebody that was, you know, football player that like has this natural ability, it seems, and like has that physique and these numbers already, the fastball is going to play up. The fastball is going to be, you know, mid to high 90s, you assume, from 6'4", 220. Um, He's fascinating. 73 and a third, 111 punch outs at Cal State or at, at Long Beach State, pardon. And then he goes out to the Cape. He has a yep. full workload. He throws 34 innings and he punches out 45 and then 82 and a third, 124 Ks. He strikes out the world wherever he goes. Yep. So if he can just get that command going um, and that's with the fastball really in the low nineties. Now, I think there's more in there. Uh, Watts Brown's a name to watch in terms of like someone who could really make a leap this coming season uh, as he gets his first, you know, full taste or first taste of pro ball. They, they shut him down at the end of last year. So uh, another arm that I'm very excited to see uh, this coming year. We're going to get into the top 10 in a moment, which starts with Brandon Barrera. But before that, a quick break. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Okay, so probably a bit of a surprise to some to, to see a 2022 first rounder all the way down to the number 10 spot here. But it was a weird and, and somewhat frustrating year for Brandon Barrera in, in 2023. Uh, obviously, injuries derailed him, and, and that's unfortunate. But it was a unique case where you have a guy that shows up and, you know, the body backed up. I mean, he, he, he put on weight that, you know, I would say was not, not useful weight. And then – 
when you have that happen and then you have three different arm flare-ups, right? Like he, I think spring training had an issue that delayed his start to the season. Then early in the year had an issue that he had to, you know, sit out with for a little bit. And then later in the year had to shut down due to another issue. I believe it was not in any specific order, elbow, like, and then you had bicep and then you had shoulder. And that that's concerning when it's just kind of like all the way up and down there. And he showed up, you know, at the start of the season, I think in worse shape, like just, just being honest about it, like it, his body definitely backed up. Like it, so when you see that happen with some health issues, it, it's, it's a little concerning because you wonder, you know, how, how ready was he uh, to, to, to throw, you know, physically. And, you know, we saw the stuff in flashes look good and I'll get into that in a moment, but I wanted to kind of start with that as uh, he could come out next year or this coming season, be in great shape and all of a sudden start shoving and great. We'll, we'll move him up, but three different arm ailments showing up to, 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 you know, camp in, in the early parts of the season, just not looking like he did on draft day or, or even after that. Um, that's a bit of a concerning trend, especially, you know, with some of the things we saw happening at the big league level with one of their other former first round picks. It's a cliche that is most often used and is most often fair in baseball. And it's, you get out what you put in and, you know, like, unfortunately every organization has an example of this kind of thing. Like we're watching it unfold firsthand with Sixto Sanchez, right? Like that guy clearly wasn't working on making his way back. So it's been two and a half years. It's been three years, right? Like, yeah. It could have been one. It's been three now. Um, yeah. And we're not saying Barrera is Sixto Sanchez, but this guy was drafted at 180 and he showed up at 210. And, and it's not like he had and, and that's, forearms. And I think that's generous. Like, I, 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 they didn't really give an updated listing weight. Like, I, I honestly think it's more than that. Yeah. Like, that's tough. And I hope, I hope everything's all right with him. Um, but yeah, like, Here's to hoping that that he gets all that right and and the stuff can speak for itself, because unfortunately, he wasn't on the hill to let the stuff speak for itself. Yeah, and it's been an interesting trend for him, right? He he pitches his way at American Heritage in South Florida, shows really well in the early parts of the spring, shuts himself down. Remember, we talked about that earlier on the show, shuts himself down and says, all right, I'm a first round talent. Like I'm going to shut it down. Maybe there was some underlying arm issues there. Like, you know, soreness that, you know, obviously you don't want to document that as you're about to get drafted. So right. I don't blame him, you know, if that was the case, but that was one little like alarm. I was like, Oh wow. Shutting himself down in the spring. That's interesting. You know, sometimes you'll see guys kind of say, Hey, I'm not going to go more than four or three and that's understandable, but fully shut it down and then has these arm issues right away. Um, the other thing that was interesting is on, on draft day, um, he, he had that classic line of like the uh, the other 22 teams are going to regret passing on me. So like I just think that there's a little bit of growing up here. Like I, genu- I genu- yeah. genuinely do. And I think he's super talented. I think he can be great. Um, but there's some trends there that, you know, I think when you look at a year where a guy really struggles to stay on the field, you got to kind of wonder. Um, that said, like he's a competitor. Uh, when I do, when I have seen him on the mound, like he, he looks good in terms of, of what can be. It's a cut fastball that is is funky. Um, you know, from a, a three quarter release point that it, it just misses under barrels in the low nineties can get up to 94, 95. And um, you know, that's a dirty pitch when the next pitch you have is a slider that flashes double plus. And that slider alone, I think from that arm slot as a lefty is good enough to make him a, a big league reliever. So you have that, 
He's got to develop a third pitch. The curveball is lagging behind the changeup he threw like 14 times last year, and like four of them were strikes. So he's got to develop those two pitches. He's got to first and foremost prove that he can stay healthy. Um, but you know, I think it's it's tough because guys get hurt no matter what. You can be in perfect shape and and your arm, you know, you have arm issues. That's just the reality of it. But you also have instances where, you know, it, it, you wonder if there could have been a little bit more prevention baked in. So that's where I'm at with him. It's it's a unique spot. He was 19 last year. He's, he's a freaking kid, man. So like there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of aspects to it where you, know, you could easily have that wake up call this past year, come out this year and, and look great. So I'm excited. I'm rooting for him. Um, he'll be 20, I think right at the start of the year. And he's got all the potential in the world, but with the injuries, with the lack of third pitch and just limited looks at this point, it's hard for me to have him much higher than than this spot because I think there is a fair amount of reliever risk here. I will tell you, weight comes off so easy when you're 19, 20. Like, this is the time to do that. I'm trying at 26. This sucks. I hate hmm. this. Yeah, and again, just super gifted and athletic. So it, it could come yeah. together real quick for him. Yeah. Number nine. Josh Kasevich. And this was a player that I'll be honest, like there was always one or two of these in a, in a system. And when we, when we go through them shortstop, like I, I didn't have a ton on him. Um, and the more I watched them, the more fun and, and intrigued I was by him. Um, look, it's hit over everything. Um, I, and I think there's potential for a, for a plus plus hit tool here. We're, we're talking potentially 70 grade hit tool, but below average power, I would say, fringy speed at best it's probably slightly below average speed and an average to slightly above average glove at shortstop but the ability to play a solid third base a solid second base um, and kind of play all over good approach really helps as well so you have a 70 hit tool with a good approach and the ability to play every infield spot I feel very confident that he's a a utility piece uh, when it comes together but he's 6-2 you kind of wonder if there's a little bit more thump in there but the problem is the swing is very very flat that is also what allows him to make elite contact, you know, and, and just rarely miss, but he also puts it on the ground a lot. I think his hard hit average launch, like average hard hit launch angle was 1.5 degrees. So like, that's a problem ish. Um, if you want to be an everyday hitter, but I, I think fan graphs throughout this comp and I, I loved it. Kevin Newman, it, it is Kevin Newman esque, and you can laugh or whatever. That's a big leaguer and a guy that's been around for a while. And there is there, I thought that was, I get more excited about the comps in the in the weeds like that. I thought that was an unbelievable one, but I'd assume it was it was either Tess or Eric Loggenhagen. But the the Kevin Newman comp, when I was looking at the stats, I was like, oh, that's good. I loved that comp on Kasevich, and you know, that's a, that's a big leaguer. It's a totally a big leaguer, and a guy that is still getting like he got two point six million dollars last year from the Cincinnati Reds. Kevin Newman's yeah. real folks. Like he he's making money at the major league level. So this sounds like a moneymaker. It also just sounds like you like this Alan Roden better than the real Alan Roden. So like, whatever. Um, I, I like it a shortstop. Yeah. That's the thing. The difference between Kasevich and Alan Roden is Roden is playing left field. Kasevich is playing shortstop. And like, I'll tell you which one's more valuable. War will tell you which one's more valuable. <laughs> Et cetera, et cetera. So I I like it. 1.5. I think Logan Webb was in the negatives, but I think Framber Valdez last year was like right around one degree in terms of average launch angle. So it's pretty much a Framber Valdez opponent is Josh Kasevich when it comes to where the ball goes. 
you're not helping my case here. Um, so no, but no, it's fair. Like that's something that he's going to work on. But at the same time, you know, he's he's put up good average, you know, batted ball. I would say like some of the contact rates are elite. Um, so now like kind of working that a little bit. You don't want to undermine what's the best thing that he has going for him, but you can. I think elevate that average angle a little bit and still be very line drive oriented. And I'm sure that's something that'll work on what also kind of put him over the top for me was you know, th- that approach. Um, and, and again, the, the defense, but there's a little bit of physical projection there. His moves are so simple. He, he's a guy that his timing is, is impeccable. Like he starts it so early, it's simple moves and he is always on time. Uh, and I think that's something that, you know, bodes really well, whereas Roden has these moving parts and he's on time consistently now, but I could see that getting thrown off a little bit more against better competition. I think Kasevich can climb very, very quickly. And I liked what I saw from the defense at shortstop. Here's another one for you. Just like in terms of a comp for the batted ball, like the launch angle and all that, I'm not trying to bury him with the Framber Valdez thing. Tim Anderson, Alec Thomas, Christian Yelich was a three and a half degree average launch angle. And he had a good year this past year. It was worse than that during his bad years. Like you can survive. Ellie De La Cruz had a three and a half degree average launch angle. You can get by. Usually the guys that get away with it hit the living crap out of the ball. Um, So that's the part that's tough. But to your point, like if he hit the ball hard enough and his his average exit velocity was was palatable, um, he just has to elevate it a little bit more, but he doesn't have to totally change everything. You hope it's Tim Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. <laughs> Number eight, Emmanuel and Emmanuel Bonilla, outfielder, finished the year in the Dominican Summer League. Probably will be at the Complex League. Maybe we'll get a taste of him in low A uh, this season. Four point one million dollar international free agent in twenty twenty three. That was a loaded class, and he was the fourth most expensive, largely on his offensive upside. Right, this is a guy that boasts a potential above average field to hit, at least an average field to hit and above average power potential right now. He's a center fielder, probably moves to a corner. I think with the offensive upside and the above average arm out there, he could you know handle a corner really well. Um, this is just more like Bonilla is going to get the ranking ahead of, of a Kasevich and some of these other guys, because the unknown is valuable at this point um, where, you know, you know, you're, you're what you're going to get with Kasevich, whereas Bonilla. Yeah. There's a lot more variance, but I think he has a better field to hit than most of his peers. He has the physical projection. He's already flashed exit velocities as high as 108 miles an hour uh, as a 17-year-old. And I think the swing is pretty good. It's it's just a matter of pitch recognition for him. Uh, that that was definitely something that stood out to me about how many 17-year-olds are great with pitch recognition. Like nobody. It just, he has great a great feel for the barrel, but his body would break down, you know, on on breaking balls and he'd get out on his front foot or kind of spin off of it. And then that would undermine, you know, the, the contact ability. That said, still had solid contact rates. Uh, I think the approach and pitch rec will get better. And then when that happens, I think the hit tool will start to shine through more. And we've already seen flashes of above average pop. Can you scroll up to the grades for Kasevich again one more time? I just want to kind of compare to Bonilla. So Kasevich, you've got 70 future hit, 40 future raw power, 35 game, and then 45-50. So it just seems like Bonilla has the chance to be more well-rounded and less stuck in a template, which yeah. I know you value. Like Michael Bush has been a top 100 guy for a long time, and like he's he's been near the top. I'm thinking about those guys that are 50 to 55 in every single category, and this guy's 50 in every category except power. And yeah. that's the one that can give you – the greatest bump, I think a hundred percent. And he could end up growing in even more power than that too. Like it's, it's hard to really, I mean, this is the hardest thing to do in, in, in the 
prospect analysis world. I was you know, just talking about this with a, a couple of buddies who are, are working for teams and they're like, that's, that's the part that I don't like the most. Like every time I like when, when I have to write reports on rookie level guys and things like that, like it just, it feels like such a crap shoot. And it is, but also you look at it from this lens. They, they give them $4 million for a reason. Like the, the upside is there. Uh, and, and in this stage, when we're talking about, you know, this tier of prospects, the upside is, is just too tantalizing. Um, and, and we saw good results in the DSL. I don't like to, to dive too much into those numbers, but when you yeah. look at the, the swing mechanics, you look at the bat speed and you look at what can be, I think there's potential for, you know, an above average everyday corner outfielder, which is, you know, uh, better than whatever you can reasonably dream on with Kasevich. Obviously the floor is a guy that doesn't even make it to the show. Whereas Kasevich, I feel very confident that he at least gets some big league time, but the upside is just so much higher that he just edges him out here in number eight. That's interesting that you don't like uh, placing too much stock in DSL stats. That's what mm-hmm. I love doing, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's of course. I mean, you should, do. again, I've talked about it. I'm going to put together clips of the worst strike and ball calls I've seen from the DSL. It, it, it's Dude, crazy. It's I mean, crazy. I feel like you forget I spent a summer in short season A-ball. That was the worst baseball I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> It's crazy. I, that's why they wanted to consolidate a little bit, I guess, yeah. um, which, which makes sense. Number seven is an elevated version of Kisevich, which does yes. get the the nod just above Emmanuel Benio. This this stuff broke my brain at points. But Leo Jimenez, he just gets the edge here. Uh, shortstop, but really utility guy that can play all over uh, and had a nice year in the upper levels last year, finishing up in AAA, just about big league ready now. Um, good contact skills, shorthanded at shortstop. I, I know there's just high, high probability big leaguer, but the difference is he has a little bit more impact. Um, a guy that's posting average, you know, average exit velocities, you know, is, and I think that's really important for this type of profile, right? We're, we're talking about a guy that does have a good feel to hit, but is able to produce a little bit more impact and is able to, I think, play more positions uh, and also just has done it more at the higher levels. Uh, $825,000 international free agent in 2017. Um, it, it's pretty hard to to argue against Jimenez's results. And I just, I feel like with the versatility that he brings, the ability to play shortstop and then all over as well, it, it just seems like he's going to have a, a solid big league role one way or another. I know you place a lot of value in plate discipline, like maybe more than some tools. Um, what would he grade out at? if you were to give like a plate discipline grade uh he's up there like I, i'd say at least a, a 55 um he makes good swing decisions doesn't chase i think leverages his hitters counts pretty well to let it eat yeah I, i'd say easily 55 there were a couple of guys that came up in in droves during the week that indy was in buffalo and leo jimenez was one of them uh palmajani came up a little bit later in the week and like Palmajani was the one like he just hit the ball so damn hard we were watching and it's like oh wow like that guy's the guy but Jimenez he's one of those guys that you're shocked that he was 22 years old this yes. past year it's like wow he he plays like a 25 year old he was playing like Rafael Antigua but he's four years younger or three years younger so like that was my big takeaway I watched him for a week and my thing was okay he's probably four years ahead of where he should be that's the thing. Very polished. And as you mentioned, like what up great numbers in double A, he, he met his match in, in triple A, but he was 21 at the start of the season last year. And 
got added to the 40 man for a good reason. Like the, the guy can, I think if he was exposed in the rule five, he's probably taken just because of, of how advanced he is for a 22 year old. Um, but then again, the, the velocity, the exit velocities were surprising to me. I was expecting him to be closer to Kasevich, but 88 mile per hour average exit velocity is you know right on par with, with the big league average. And then a 90th percentile that was just about on par with, with big league average at 103. So uh, those are things that stand out to me because you saw it translate into his first season with a slugging percentage, at least in the double A level, especially with a slugging percentage over 400. Um, we didn't see the contact really take a hit. He walks at a 10% clip. He doesn't strike out. Um, and, and the defense just continues to look solid. I, I feel like this is a a piece that probably makes some of the depth that they have at the big league level expendable soon. Like I, I'm looking at a Santiago Espinal. I think it's a super, super easy comp. I think I even mentioned yes. it in the, in the write up here. I, I, he's Santiago Espinal, except he can play shortstop at, yep. at a solid, at a solid level, which I mean, that's kind of the thing that's holding Espinal back. He's been a one to two win player. If he could fill in at shortstop, it's probably closer to two to three win player. That's a solid high end utility piece. And I think that's yeah. what, Nick Jimenez a little bit more elevated than even an Espinal. Um, and that's yeah. why I think he's, he's become very underrated. Well, and what stinks is like, if Espinal could pass at shortstop, then they don't spend $15 million on IKF. And if, you know, yep. they felt like Leo Jimenez could pop up and, and fill in there, then they don't spend $15 million on IKF. Problem is Bichette was unavailable for, I want to say a month or two last year. What happened? They tanked it. Like it was mm. not good at shortstop. Feels like this guy might be the safety blanket, but apparently he's not ready. And they got to go with Isaiah Kiner Falefa. <clears throat> and, and, and I get it because he isn't quite ready. He needs, you know, more time in AAA. Yeah. And and that's why they they went that with that route. But I think you bring up a great point is I think the second IKF is 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 gone or even going into next year, they might end up just moving him uh, because I do think it's Jimenez's role to take over there, which I think he'd do really well in. Number six, I think we're going to be the high guys on Chad Dallas, right-hander, who was a fourth-round pick in 2021. And, by the way, had a really nice uh, appearance in his first spring training outing. I actually talked about it on the bonus call-up episode that we put out this weekend. Really excited to put that first one out. Uh, definitely, uh, if you want to go check that out, subscribe. That link is in the episode description. You can go check it out. But very excited to have that rolled out and be uh, – providing those bonus episodes every single week here. Uh, but Chad Dallas was one of the names I mentioned in the bonus episode. And I said, I was going to end up having to talk about him more on, on this Blue Jays top prospect episode, but he's got a really good pitch mix, man. And I think just seeing the stuff tick up slightly with a slider, that's plus a fastball. That's big league average, a cutter. That's a big league average pitch, a curveball that flashes above average. And that like, that's an easy four pitch mix that I think could put him into the back end of a rotation change up to work in progress, but I don't know if he needs it as much because he has that downer breaking ball and he has the cutter that he can work on lefties. He likes to throw that cutter to lefties a ton back doors them plenty runs it in on their hands and then has the downer curveball. So I think the changeup eventually just gets phased out. He's got the fastball and slider that just dominate righties. He'll mix in the cut can even mix in the curve. I think the arsenal is really good for even platoons. Uh, the command has gotten better and better. I think it now projects his average. The fastball, nothing jumps off the page, but it's average velocity, slightly above average you know, shape to it and characteristics. This is a, a big league four-pitch mix, 
and solid command. I, I think he could be a four starter, likely a five starter, but I feel pretty good about it. So trivia time with Chad Dallas. He was drafted in 2021 out of the University of Tennessee. Do you know, I think Dallas was the Saturday guy that year. Do you know who the Friday guy was for Tennessee? In 2021? In 2021. 2022 was Drew Beam, Dolander, Burns, and one more. I'm forgetting. But uh, that was 2022, Xander Sechrist. 2021, Friday guy was blank. Saturday guy was Chad Dallas. Friday guy, Tennessee, 2021. It's going to piss me off, but just just tell me. Jeopardy sound. Uh, Blade Tidwell. Ah, yeah. I actually probably wouldn't have pulled that one out. I, I, that's just one of those names I don't I don't attribute to a college immediately. Um, yep. Oh, that's Blade a pretty Tidwell good one-two punch. Great one-two punch. Um, Dallas was fun in 2021 at Tennessee. I, I'm curious, like, you just think this guy is so well-rounded that he yeah. can be a four. Yeah. And I think the stuff is just kind of on this upward trajectory. You have, yeah. you know, like you see 50 and future 50, but like that's big league starter 50, which means it's just yes. an average big yeah. league fastball. That's, that's fine when you've got a banger slider, you know, and then a, a downward, just sharp curveball that continues to get better. And then that cutter that he likes to command East West really well. So like, I just think there's so many ways that he can change his looks. Uh, we saw the command keep getting better. I think there's some characteristics that that could end up making the fastball a little bit better. The velocity is slowly increased as well. So if he gains another tick, then I think it's even better. Um, and it's just kind of low release as a smaller, compact guy, uh, which I think is part of the reason why people write him off. But he's strong and and, and pretty athletic. Uh, I think I think Dallas is just a high probability back end of the rotation arm. And I mean, in this system, that's a number six guy for me. I get it. We're going to get into the top five, which starts with Adam Macko, a guy that I'm super amped on. So I'm going to make a big case on him. One more quick break before that. Number five is left-handed pitching prospect, Adam Macko, who I think will have as much helium as maybe any Southpaw in, in, in the minors in the early parts of this year, if he can stay healthy. It's a big if, but he showed some great things last year in that department. Uh, and, and really the stuff came along with it. Uh, Maco was acquired in that Teoscar Hernandez trade from the Mariners. And that what was interesting about that was that trade went down after he had been shelved with with some some arm you know issues, which to me says, OK, he obviously passed the physicals or the, or the medicals that you know were provided to the Blue Jays were, were positive enough for them to, to pull the trigger on this trade. Like this wasn't a nothing trade. Maco was a big part of it. Um, so I think those. Those medicals at least were something that the Blue Jays were you know, willing to either take a chance on or were you know confident would you know, get better. And you know, so far they've been correct. Uh, he he comes back, I think right around you know later May, and and looked great uh, last year. He just got better and better and better. And the fastball velocity continued to tick up, and the stuff is just nasty. I mean, for those that are watching on YouTube right now, you can see this curveball. That, that he throws that you know, just left on left is a nightmare, but it works against hitters from, from both sides of the plate. And not only was it his career high to, you know, eclipse 80 innings, uh, which was huge to see. How about I, how about this, Jack? Tell me if this sounds good to you. You sure. eclipse your career high in innings. And while doing so in the final four appearances, sit at the highest average velocity of your career. 
So you eclipse your career high where most guys start to fade. And instead of fading, his final four starts, he actually ticked up. I don't know if I've really seen that where a guy ticks up in his final four starts, just kind of out of nowhere. And that's exactly what he did. He averaged 93 and change, you know, the, the entire year. And then in the final four starts, averaged 94.8 miles per hour. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm in. Um, yeah, like he's unique, man. And we were talking about him a little bit pre-record. Um, I don't know. He's he's an interesting cat and he's got one of those interesting backstories too. I'm going to get yeah. a story and then I'll kind of let you walk through pitch by pitch. Um, he was born in Slovakia, Bratislava, Slovakia. He was actually born in Bratislava, Slovakia. But then he comes to Canada and I just looked up the 2018 Vauxhall Baseball Academy roster. Adam Mako and Damiano Palmagiani, Vauxhall, Alberta, Canada. It's in the middle of nowhere. I did the Apple map this afternoon when I was doing Palmagiani. I was like, <laughs> they have one restaurant and it's like a Chinese buffet and they have a gas station and that's about it. And then they have this baseball academy plopped in there. And Mako and Palmagiani happen to be on the same roster in the middle of nowhere, Alberta. Found it fascinating, wow. but... Kind of nice that those two are kind of pacing similarly, could be on the same big league team. Shit's good, man. And like, it is a matter of health. Um, he's fun. And you can tell that he's a little bit of a leaner in a good way. Like you can see his upper body kind of drifting towards the plate. Um, I'm not sure how much side view you watched or if you even had access to side view. You can kind of see it here. But like, that's a guy whose body is is straight up. And he's working down, 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 down. And then he explodes on the mount. It's very clean. Which which is huge. And I think that's part of the reason why you get this um, this above average induced vertical break from a, a lower release height. Because um, the guys that drop and drive are going to have that naturally lower release point. Uh, and then, you know, that allows the fastball to kind of play up off of that and have you know more carry. And I think for him, he had the above average carry, but. When the uh, carries above average from a slightly below average release point, like, yeah, you, you, your fastball will play pretty well in the low 90s. But once you get to the mid 90s, then those characteristics really so. compound with the added velocity to make it a problem for hitters. And that's what we saw over the final four starts when he was averaging pretty much 95 miles per hour. That's including a postseason start as well uh, against a very talented Everett team. Where in those four starts, 20 innings, four hits, one earned run, 31 Ks. Like that's that's gonna play. That's a 42 and a half percent strikeout rate. The command's a work in progress in terms of getting it to you know where he can keep the walk rate uh, below 10 percent. But we're talking about an arsenal here where you have an above average fastball, a plus curveball, an above average slider, and a changeup that's at least flashed average from time to time. That's a guy that can get away with fringy command and be a back end of the rotation starter. Yeah, you got to pallet the walks here and there maybe. But I think he'll miss enough bats to be a back into the rotation starter uh, with those two breaking balls that differentiate really well. Uh, I think he's not going to really have any platoon issues either. Can get righties out with that arsenal. Um, and and if that velocity holds, you know, the way we saw it at the end of the year, I, I think he's going to be a guy that really starts climbing up top prospect lists. And it's hard to argue against the the underlying pitch shapes and characteristics that he has going on. I also love the distinct speeds. He's got that fastball at 
you know, 94, 95. You've got the curveball in the upper eight or in the upper 70s, the slider in the mid 70s or geez, in the mid 80s. And then the change up that he'll mix in in the low 80s like that. That's just a, a wide range of movements and speeds for hitters to try to you know stay on. Checking in at number four is Addison Barger, a guy who I actually think can I guess it would be like a. a a bounce back in a way after, you know, what he did in 23 after the, the breakout in 2022. But I thought Barger's 23 season was, was better than maybe the stats may indicate. And I think there was some positives out of it. So with Barger, obviously drafted as a shortstop, like has played mostly shortstop through his professional career. And I think part of, you know, once he broke out in 2022, we, we saw him pretty much on, on most top 100 lists, but then he ends up, you know, taking a step back a little bit in 23 and triple a offensively. Uh, if you look at the stats and then uh, starting to move off a shortstop playing more third and, and right field. But I honestly think there were some things that looked really good last year because one, I think you kind of knew that it wasn't really going to happen for him at shortstop. And if it did, like he was going to be stretched a little thin there. He looks fine at third. And then I was actually really impressed with him in right field. And I think that's really important because we talk about where guys fit in the versatility. There's a power hitter. There's a power profile. And you get a guy that swings hard and, and is trying to do damage from the left side. And now, you know, he's able to play third and right field. Like, I think it's a really fun profile. And what I loved is that arm is a, a missile. It's a double plus arm and it really plays in right. He already had some really impressive outfield assists, covered the ground really impressively. I thought for a guy that had not played there at all. But the other thing that really stood out to me was, yes, he takes a step back in terms of production. Part of it was, I think they wanted to, you know, I think flatten the swing a little bit because he was just so exposed to stuff at the top of the zone, always just trying to do pool side damage. And he actually improved a lot in the bat to ball department has struck out much less over the last two seasons, started to walk more. Um, and honestly, his EVs were better too. His 90th percentile exit velocity ticked up to, to 106, but the, the production wasn't there because he was hitting the ball on the ground and on a line more than he was hitting it in the air. So he's got to find the sweet spot where now he's improved the bat to ball, but it came at the, at the expense of his power so how can he still leverage that big impact that he has? And we're talking about comfortably above average power and, and still also leverage the improvements bat to ball wise. That's going to be the big thing to watch this year. But we're talking about a guy that I think showed that he can improve the bat to ball, improved his approach, which is huge. He used to be really aggressive, yeah. walked more than ever before. Still, we saw the raw power. If anything, he actually was hitting the ball harder and now showed, hey, yeah, I might not be a shortstop, but I can play third and I can actually play a pretty good right. This is a fun profile of a guy that also, by the way, hits lefties pretty well. So it's not even just a platoon situation. He can play every day and end up moving back and forth between third and right and give you at least solid defense, average defense of both of those spots. My only thing is, are you worried about that front foot? Like it's a very high leg kick. Does he time it up well? He seems to time it up well for now. Like it's it's been amazing because I definitely was was concerned about that. And especially when you saw the, the chase and whiff higher at the lower level, it's like, okay, well, yeah. how is that going to look at the upper levels? Well, we saw him put up numbers in the upper levels in 2022. Uh, and then we've seen him even just smooth some of those moves a little bit more and started a little bit earlier in 23. And contact wasn't the issue. It was it was angle. Um, and, and that was the thing that he kind of worked on to try to make more contact. So I think he just kind of got caught in between here. Uh, but, you know, he just seems to be one of those guys that I think is going to buck the trend of, of what we're usually looking for with hitters where, yeah, like those are moves that if a guy whiffs, you, you're probably like, Hey, he's got to calm those moves down. But I mean, he, he posted slightly above average contact rates. And I mean, 
those moves allow him to do some major damage. So it's one of those things where it's just like, until it's a problem, it's not a problem. And the fact that he has good numbers left on left too makes it hard for me to to really point towards those moves and say, hey, that's not going to work. Well, and it's part of what makes him him. So like, as long as you keep him unique and keep him an individual, then it's good. And, you know, I feel like with, with those guys in particular, if you ask Zach Neto to cut the shit with, with his big knee kick at the beginning of his swing, it's like, well, he's going to try and figure something out and then he's going to become robotic and he's not going to be Zach Neto anymore. And they clearly love who Addison Barger is. So don't mess with it. And, and the fact that he's been able to improve bat to ball wise, improve approach wise, while not really changing any of those things like that, that's what stands out to me. Um, like it really was about more of the path, but he didn't have to change those pre-swing moves. I think that it's slow building and starts early and that he gets to the same spot consistently every time uh, really helps him. And I mean, it, it's a swing that is geared for damage. And I want him to you know, sell out a little bit more for lift. The, the swing decisions improving are, are going to help with this, the, the swing and miss that I think was happening here and there. Um, and at the end of the day, this guy's got to hit for power to, to be who he can be uh, and, and be a regular. But I think with average hit, improved approach, above average power, and the ability to play multiple positions, and, and he can still plug in at short, can plug in at second. Yeah. You've got this like super utility, I think like more towards that Chris Taylor type. Of course, he's not playing center and shortstop, not quite as athletic, right. but you're getting you know above average offense and a guy that can kind of play all over. I think that, that's a really fun regular. Number three guy that we are very excited to see more of as we get our first full season of him this coming year, Arjun Damala, shortstop, first round pick in 2023, 20th overall. Now we love the pick. We've talked about how exciting he is. I, we talk about great defense, great defensive potential at shortstop, a phenomenal athlete, um, a guy that packs a punch in the box, uh, just wiry strong with room for even more strength. And I, I think this is a guy that, when it's all said and done, you can be looking at above average tools across the board uh, and, and a field to hit that's pretty impressive. I think it's really underrated, though, how much impact he already has for a guy of his build um, and a guy that's kind of you know more lean and compact. I think there's even more in there. He could be a really tooled up and fun shortstop that I cannot wait to see more of this coming year. We've talked about a, a couple guys in the top 10 now that are like 50s across the board, like maybe 155. This guy could be 55s across the board possibly you've got 55 present you think he's gonna slow a touch um but the big separator like marcelo meyer is 55s across the board except for the defense right he's a 65 defender marcelo meyer maybe yeah. close to a 70 defender namala is not that but it almost seems like toronto grabbed the poor man's marcelo meyer at the end of the first round this past year yeah, and I think there's more athleticism even there too. Where you know, Meyer was a little bit more polished of a, of, of a hitter, but you've got a guy that's I think a little bit twitchier. Um, still, yeah, you mentioned the defense being really good there, and um, I think he could be on that kind of trajectory. And Namala had a lot of helium as the draft got closer, and I think if he had more time, he's one of the youngest guys in the class. Um, he probably could have ended up being a, a really high draft pick, even higher than 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 twentieth overall. But it's kind of a guy that we just need to wait and see more of, but the moves in the box are already pretty advanced for, for a, a guy like him. And I mean, the Twitch, the bat speed, the strength already, that wiry strength that you can dream on more. I think you can dream on above average power, above average speed, above average defense, a shortstop and an above average hit tool. That's a top, top, top shortstop prospect. So uh, I, this is a dude that how he does this year could really help him ascend. He's already a top 100 guy for us, but I think could really ascend into that, you know, top, 
30, 40 prospects in baseball if he really does the things that we think he can do, you know, across the board. Number two, Aurelvis Martinez, guy we've been talking about forever, three and a half million dollar international signing in 2018. And it's been a roller coaster for him. But, you know, I think it's it's heading back up to a good spot now. And you got to be pretty excited about what you might have here with Aurelvis, just trying to figure out where he fits in. But he has done so many things well in terms of improving his his concerns offensively. Uh, I thought last year was kind of everything you could have wanted from Aurelvis and more. He, he elevates. He does damage. We know that this is a guy that's going to, I mean, hit as many home runs as singles through stretches, but now he's become a more well-rounded hitter. And I think that was a key thing for him was, you know, okay, how can I cut down on the whiff? I don't want to be selling out for pull side power and also just improving the approach. He, he did all of those things this past year. Um, walked, I think, as much as ever. Breaking balls were were a disaster for him in the past, but simplifying some of his moves with two strikes, kind of starting more stacked in his backside. Yes, he has a big leg kick, but he starts it earlier. Uh, he repeats it better, and he's starting more in a position to where he doesn't need to, to travel as far to get to his slot, and, and it's not as hard for him to stay there. And the results were were pretty evident, right? We talk about a guy that had an OPS under 600 against breaking balls in 2022. That was up over 800 against those pitches in 2023 against better competition. Also improving his lower half in terms of starting a little bit more on his backside, repeating those moves more. It also resulted in more, more power, more raw power. His 90th percentile exit velocity jumped. Uh, we saw a lot of good things. So talking about a guy who improved his approach, improved his, his ability to hit breaking balls, and is still doing that damage that made him you know, such a highly touted prospect for so long, just lifting and, and crushing to the pull side. Uh, you got to feel pretty good about where Martinez is out at, even if he's going to end up, you know, playing third base instead of shortstop. He's the one that made me upset that they signed Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. I thought some assortment of Aurelvis and Barger could have figured it out at third base this year. I get that you want, you know, big league precedent for a team that is trying to win the division, but like this guy has the capability to hit 25 homers as a rookie this yep. year. And he's not going to get that opportunity because they're going to keep trying the Kevin Biggio IKF thing. And like, I think that's unfair to Aurelvis Martinez. Still just 22 years old, by the way. So like, yeah, he, he made that ready, stride. Man. Yeah. yeah. He made that stride as a 21 year old, like had those things click, figured it out. And look, there's going to be swing and miss there. Like I get it. Like there will be swing and miss there, but he has hedged that enough. And I think at the very least this year, could help them a ton as a lefty masher in, in, in 150 plate appearances. Uh, he, he's got an OPS just under a thousand against lefties. So like that's an area where he could have definitely been a value to them. Um, and just, just seeing the way that he has been able to cut down on, you know, some of the more ridiculous chase um, turn into a solid defender at third and, and still tap into that ridiculous game power. Uh, Martinez is going to be an above average regular, I think. Um, and I think he's gonna be able to keep that, that swing and miss and check enough I know there might be some growing pains, and that's why they didn't want to count on him. But I feel like he should get an opportunity early this year. Now I just don't know where it fits, where he fits in. But this guy's just about big league ready, or at least deserves a big league shot. They'll find a place for him, man. Like I'm, I'm not too worried about it because at the end of the day, like, hey, you know what? Might as well just move IKF to second and and put Biggio on the bench, and Aravis is going to play third. There is a jigsaw puzzle that can be played to get Aravis Martinez at bats. Unfortunately, it just doesn't look like opening day. And that frustrates me. 
Uh, exactly. And I'm with you. Um, and I think he's going to put up some crazy numbers in AAA once he just gets another, you know, another taste of the same thing where he, I mean, he was he just was already pretty much it. consistent yeah. all, all year. He was putting up numbers all year long. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be more of the same from the 22 year old who feels like he's 25. <laughs> yes. Number one, not much suspense here. Ricky Tiedemann. Uh, it's been a roller coaster in terms of health too, for this guy, right? We've talked about, you know, just kind of a, up and down for a lot of these top prospects in the system. Tiedemann is, is on the upswing as well because he showed well in the Arizona Fall League and most importantly, you know, was able to shoulder a, a workload again. Uh, four straight outings of 70-plus pitches was not something he had done in a long time. I don't think since, you know, 2022 at some points. I mean, he's missed a lot of time, um, but has not missed entire seasons, just ends up missing stretches of seasons with different ailments. But when he's healthy, I mean, he's one of the most dominant pitching prospects that we've got. Right. I mean, in terms of what you're going to get from the left side, it's it's three potentially plus pitches or I think three pitches that are pretty much plus already. You got a plus heater. You got a slider that's bordering on double plus and then a changeup that's been a plus pitch as well. And, you know, the results are as we've seen them, a guy that strikes out like 40 percent of batters through a lot of stretches and um, just overpowers guys from a funky slot. Uh, he's still just 21 years old. And I think at this point, it's pretty evident that as long as Tiedemann's healthy, and around the zone enough, like he doesn't even need to have great command, just just fringy command. He can be a, a big league middle rotation starter now. If he can get that command closer to average or slightly above, he can be a frontline type of guy. Uh, but I think the biggest concern is just can he stay healthy? Because three plus pitches from the left side, that's always going to play. Always. The thing that he has that nobody at this age has is a really good changeup, like a borderline great changeup. It's almost always fastball slider. You're trying to figure out the third pitch when you're this wonderkind of an arm. But if you have that third pitch, like we talked about the Spencer Strider ascension, right? Where he was a two pitch guy. He was so stupidly successful as a two pitch guy. It's all oh, happy learned how to putt when Strider learned how to throw his changeup. Skeens, what are we, what are we looking at with Paul Skeens? Third pitch. Danger. That's all we're looking at with Paul Skeens right now, like, okay, pitch shape my ass with Skeens, right? And then you've got slider too. Like, that's a 70 fastball and an 80, 75 slider with Paul Skeens. I don't remember the pitch by pitch grades. Yeah, it's it's right there, 70, some, maybe a little bit better than that. So, like, okay, 270s. If a changeup comes, that guy turns into a Scion candidate from the jump or like a, yeah. a frontline yeah. guy from the jump. Yeah, that's Tiedemann at this point. And we're just we're hoping the command gets there. It's and it's particularly you bring up a great point. It's particularly the fastball command, too, because like what we saw with Skeens, like with the fastball, he was just in the slider, he was just spotting, spotting, spotting. Tiedemann spots the slider, but the fastball, for whatever reason, was was inconsistent for him um, and has been in terms of just being able to spot it consistently. If he's working east west with that fastball and up down, I mean, he's going to have the slider coming off of it from that three from the three quarter release point. And you're just not going to be able to differentiate it. And then you're going to have the changeup working off of that as well. The way that he's going to be able to sequence because he can start you with the fastball up and then snap a slider off of that, or he could freeze you with a fastball at the knees and then, you know, finesse a changeup that drops below the zone, you know, off of that. Like the fastball sets the tone for him because it's so damn good. And then he has two quality secondaries working off of that. What's great too is He's so confident in that slider now. He used to throw the slider and the changeup equally. Now he's throwing that slider even more than the changeup and throwing it against righties and lefties with a ton of success. So like, he can change his looks 
so much. He could go fastball slider all the way through a lineup, whether it's lefty or righty heavy. And then the second time through could be more fastball changeup. Like he's also a guy that could probably uh, get through a lineup throwing predominantly fastballs because of how quick it gets on guys and, and how nasty it can be if the command is there. So I, I, this guy can be a front line arm if he can stay healthy and the fastball command gets better. You assume that, you know, he doesn't do both of those things to the best of his ability just because that's like the, the peak outcome. If the fastball command is always kind of a little bit inconsistent, I, I think this is still a really solid number two starter. And at the very least, you got a quality middle of the rotation arm. If the health becomes an issue, that could be what ultimately moves him to the bullpen. But in terms of his ability to pitch, and I'm not here to really project health because, you know, his body looks good. He's athletic on the mound. It just seems like more of an anatomy thing for him. Like, I, I think if he has to move to the bullpen, he's a lights, lights out reliever. But I, I think it's only going to be a health reason as to why he he can't stick as a starter, because even now he's a guy that can just get away with super high walk rates relative to other starters like yeah. the Blake Snell special. Um, right. But I think he's got better command than that in the tank uh, as it, it's, it's hard to have consistently good command when you're on and off the IL with with arm issues that probably, you know, make you kind of protect it adjust your mechanics a little bit. Like I do think that there's average command in here, which at that point it's, it's game over. Like the, the blue Jays have, you know, one of their key rotation pieces for a long time. Yeah. So there's a reason they call him thicky Tiedemann. Like he's built like a tank. He's built like a horse. I will say, and I'm not comping the physique at all because these guys could not be more different, but watch that gif. Watch the arm path sail. No, there's a lot of sail with the whip and the three there quarters. Is. There's definitely and some, what I, some sale on there. And what I will say about Sale is even at the peak of his powers, he didn't always have fastball command. And his fastball would spray a little bit. And he would miss up. He would miss out to righties. But he always had that kind of sweeping slider. He was throwing the sweeper. He was throwing the slurve when like not many guys could do it from that slot. And Ricky may feel more comfortable with that whipping three-quarters motion, that Sale-esque arm path that he takes just dotting the slider because that's what feels natural. The fastball may be the thing that feels unnatural. We always just assume that the fastball is the thing that feels natural. Maybe the slider just naturally goes with the arm path. And uh, the thing about sale that a lot of people forget, sorry, one more thing. The thing about sale that a lot of people forget, and he kind of ditched it, I think, when he got to Boston, or at least when he got unhealthy, when he started dealing with those issues. When he was in Chicago, he had like a change equivalent. It might have been like a split change or something. That was disgusting from that slot because it had yeah. that vertical drop. There's a lot of sail in the arm path and the way the ball moves. And it's really hard to differentiate the change up from that slot. All I was going to say when I chimed, when I was going to chime in was just that you're hundred percent correct. And that I think that the slider comes way more natural to him from that slot. Like I just yes. think it's just easier talk about pronators and supinators. Like clearly a supinator, I think it's just easier for him to, to have to snap it from that arm slot versus trying to, keep a fastball going where you want it to go when you're, you know, not always over the top of it. Uh, and, and I think that's, I think you hit the nail on the head there, but I think that's the template to look at because of the way everything can work off of it. Um, when you look at a Chris sale and I mean, it could be really scary. And the thing with him is, is the velocity is already there. He's sitting mid nineties. He was holding it pretty decently. Well, you know, into later into these outings in the Arizona fall league, you know, obviously you saw a little bit of a taper down, um, but that's natural because he had not thrown 70 plus pitches, but he looked like he was, you know, handling the workload pretty well. Um, if he can just continue to, to handle the the 75 pitch workload, you know, every fifth day, I think he's a guy that could get up to the big leagues and, 
you know, be a five and dive guy for them while he continues to build up. Uh, but yeah, I think it helped them in some capacity as soon as this year and then grow into, you know, what we think he can be as a potential frontline guy. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for those who have been tuned in with us for every single uh, farm system we've done so far. That puts us past the the halfway point here. I'm so excited to keep churning through these farm systems. Uh, we'll be moving on to the National League East uh, going into uh, next week and beyond. So very pumped about that. Also, keep an eye out in the next week or so, probably two weeks, we'll have that Top 100 update coming out. And a reminder, uh, if you want to support the bonus call-up content, uh, that link is in the episode description. I really appreciate the support there. It was fun to put together that first episode this past week. Anything else, Jack, before we wrap up? I don't think so. It's not a good system by any stretch, Toronto. It is probably average because of the talent they have up top. They've got probably three consensus top 100 guys and maybe a fourth fringe top 100 guy in Barger. We'll see the update in a couple of weeks. But um, I think those are the guys that kind of carry this system. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by the way the rest of the arms pan out. A Marutis, a Watts Brown, a Chad Dallas, a Mako. A Mako. And I think those guys can really push this system, you know, to the next level. And then having some of those high floor pieces that outside of the top five, you know, and, and yeah. Jimenez and Kasevich does help. So I agree. It's kind of closer to the middle of the pack, but definitely heading in the right direction. As always, thank you for listening. Look forward to talking prospects with you later this week. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.